0: Welcome to Life, Love & Hustle, the podcast that uncovers the story behind the stories of entrepreneurs, artists, and activists making an impact in their business, community, and the culture. Join us for these intimate conversations with ordinary people working to do extraordinary things and hear their journey through struggle, triumph, growth, and change. Now, here's your host, Chad Smith. Welcome back to the Life, Love, and Hustle podcast. It's your boy, Chad, here, and I'm joined by my good brother. Uh, his name is uh, Dr. Emmanuel Chirilian. Uh, he is a brilliant, brilliant brother. I've had the pleasure of meeting him at the very first Black Economic Empowerment Summit in Hagerstown, Maryland, about two years ago. And his his organization, Tank Educates LLC is dedicated to culturally responsive pedagogy and life skills education, and he specifically targets disadvantaged populations. So the organization was founded by, by the good Dr. Tank, uh, and he's an education specialist with over 20 years of experience in education and leadership. Now, he's better known. We all know him as Dr. Tank, and he currently serves on the board of directors for the Catholic Partnership Schools in Camden County, New Jersey. He's also a certified diversity, equity and inclusion coach and a motivational speaker who focuses on dismantling the school to prison pipeline. He's also a professor, education consultant, and a director of the Tank Mentoring Program for all 21 counties in New Jersey, um, who he especially does good work with assisting formerly incarcerated individuals with the reentry process and helping them become successful at that. So, in other words, he does all things education, and, and it was – I basically had to – threaten uh, his life to get him on the show today. So I'm grateful. So welcome, Dr. Tank.
1: Listen, Chad, thank you so much for uh, the lovely introduction. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And I appreciate having the opportunity to be on the Life, Love, and Hustle podcast. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Anytime I get an opportunity
0: to speak with you, I'm definitely blessed afterwards, man. So thank you for coming on. I appreciate it, man. So for, for people who this is their first time, Hearing about Dr. Tank, you know, who is
1: Dr. Tank and what is his mission? Listen, I'm just a regular brother that's trying to make a difference in this world, man. Um, I, I see so significant challenges happening in our community, um, and this is happening everywhere. It's just not in New Jersey. I go to Delaware, I go to Maryland, I go to uh, Texas, Atlanta, you, you name it. I'm seeing the same systemic challenges when communities are brown and black. And so I said, I wanted to be a difference maker. Um, as a college professor, I saw students coming in whenever they looked like me, not ready for college. So I just took a chance. He said, I'm gonna make a difference. So I, I got into the education consulting space and my model is we're changing lives through education, one student at a time. And so um, that's what our mission is. And more specifically, we're dismantling the school to prison pipeline. For other groups, when their students finish school, they go to college. But for some reason when our students finish school, it seems like prisons are waiting for them. And so that's what we're gonna try to dismantle through this consulting company. That's amazing. And
0: I I love following your updates yes, uh, on social media. And like, it seems like every week you're getting a new appointment with someone <laughs> or, or other. You know, you get some, somebody who wants you working with them in some, uh, some form or fashion. Yes, so now if we're unfamiliar mm-hmm. with the, uh, with the school to prison pipeline, you know, explain a little more about
1: what that is. Yeah. So, you know, what we're seeing, there's a trend specifically around our black boys that they are three and a half times more likely to be suspended or expelled um, compared to their white counterparts. And this trend seems to happen also when you talk about when they finish school, so now when they're dealing with law enforcement. So it just seems that we are punished harsher for minor offenses, sometimes identical offenses. And the way we are treated it seems like they're preparing us for detention halls and prison cells. And so one of the things that we're trying to see is how can we change some of the practices around how we manage uh, minority students? So one, they're treated fairly, but also we teach more of a restorative justice practice and how to better engage them in school instead of alienating, suspending them and taking them away from school. Because we know one school is not an option and you cannot find a job, there's something else waiting for you, and it typically is either death or prison. Yeah,
0: that's 100% true because I can see it right here in our state of Maryland. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're you know, uh, too familiar with the numbers here in Maryland, but mm-hmm. uh, Maryland has one of, if not the um, oldest populations of, of Black incarcerated males in the country. Wow. And well, yeah, it, it's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, they basically age out in Maryland prisons. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, and there's actually some talk. There's some movement, um, in the Capitol about how, about how to end that, about how to not let, um, these black males like age out in prisons at a higher rate than their white counterparts. Yeah. And, and, and it's, if you look at the numbers across the country, like it's cleared, mm-hmm. and and we're in 2023, and like why does it seem like there hasn't been much movement in
1: correcting that school to prison pipeline? Correct. Uh, it depends who's benefiting and who's getting hurt by it, and unfortunately, it's in most cases we are not the benefactors, and <laughs> so therefore, <laughs> uh, yeah, because if you think about prisons now, really becoming a private business. And so therefore, you know, they're they're building them just like they're building hospitals and schools. And so therefore, there's someone that's benefiting from putting us in there. And so once that changes, I think you'll start seeing some or once the population that's going in there changes, then you'll see a rally behind. We need something systemic to change around this practices.
0: OK, so when you say who benefits mm-hmm. and um, we can definitely talk about the concept of for profit prisons, I never understood, <laughs> yeah, yeah. never understood for profit prisons like where, where prisons were never meant to be a business. Correct. correct. Like. I, so if you have a business, you have to have people in the business. And we look at uh, you can also look at um, the free labor that benefits. Gotcha. Um, companies that, right? Yeah. That you, you know, companies that contract these prisons for their built-in labor. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like new slavery.
1: Yeah, I would say I mean, look almost, at these. Full- I would say it is. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly yeah. What it is is that you're you're able to get goods and services produced at a fraction of the cost, at no cost, in some regards, and um, and these individuals. Are just trying to get by, so they'll take whatever they can get, and, and and companies and industries are benefiting from it. And that's really the same model that was used in slavery.
0: And of course, if you have to have a workforce, you have to have uh, you have to have a population to draw from. Right.
1: Correct. correct. So, so that's where yeah. <laughs> that's where the school to prison work line becomes, because it seems like our students, our kids, are not being prepared for higher education. It looks like they've been prepared to go into that kind of workforce, labor force, the way we're punished, the way we're treated, the way um, the curriculum is designed, the textbooks, teacher representation. You start really breaking down school. You start if we go really deep with this, if you even look how school is structured, the single file lines, bell, the ring when you eat, when you go to recess, um, discipline and order. That's really structured very similar to the prison. So prisons and mm. schools are structured exactly the same way, and they're producing the same results.
0: Wow, man! So before we get before we get too deep into this, because we could probably talk about three hours <laughs> just on this part right here. So now, you're very passionate about this, and this is part of what. Mm-hmm. can't help but notice with just a five minute conversation with you, like like this is your life's work. So what really inspired you to start Tank Educates and to be and and to be a part of the solution?
1: Yeah, um, I'm an educator, so I'm a college professor. I teach sociology and philosophy. And for some reason, every semester when a student walked into my classroom and they looked like me they were not ready for college. So if it happened once, twice, a year, I would say, okay, but every year, every semester that bleeds systemic. And so there's something systemically happening between, between the grades of K to 12 that's now producing students of color who are not prepared for college. And so I did one of the craziest things ever. I quit my job and said, I'm going to be a solution to this problem and start my own education consulting company. And In my head, I was going to go around schools and teach teachers how to teach us. And that would really Mm. be my focus. I would just go around and try to help. And I had no idea that I would bump into the lane that I'm in now, and I'm just doing everything. I'm in prisons. I'm in, um, I'm dealing with spaces of formerly incarcerated. I'm at schools. I'm changing curriculums. I'm I'm meeting with superintendents. I'm flying all over the country. So initially, that was all I was thinking of. And, you know, I believe God bumped me into other lanes. And now we're just, I call it an educational Walmart, meaning whatever (laughs) in education that they're dealing with, I, I I can probably be impactful in that space, and so I'm I'm everywhere now.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that. Everywhere I go, man, I see a Dr. Tank post. <laughs> 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 you are shaking hands with somebody important. Like like every picture I see. That's yeah. Correct. So yeah. now, so now, since you've been doing yeah. this. Um, you know, this is a big mission, man. Oh, yeah. So like so far, you know, what are some of the biggest challenges that you face so far in this mission?
1: Yeah, so what's the biggest challenge? I'm a for profit organization. I'm not a nonprofit. So mm. with me not being a nonprofit, um, I'm not getting huge grants and donation dollars to do this work. So it's really me fighting the world, right? And so I have a team around yeah. me now, but Um, One of the challenges I have is just to do this kind of work consistently for a very long time. You really need a strong financial backing and financial support. So that's one of the hurdles, but it was intentional. Um, When you go nonprofit, what you have to do is you need to bring in a board around you. And sometimes the message... That you are passionate about gets watered down because other individuals are now in the organization who may not be as passionate about it. So it's a deliberate attempt to never put cream in my coffee, and to lose the potency. And so I I wanted to make sure that the company stays grounded on the message that. Um, I really believe it needs to be. And so with some of that, you take some challenges, you lose, you lose some, you win some. And so it's a strategic message that I want to continue to push out. And so that's why I'm continuing the space of the for profit. But with that, obviously, if I was the nonprofit, I probably could be a little more bigger, but that's not really my focus. I just want to keep changing lives to impact.
0: Okay. Okay. No, I totally get that. See, I didn't know that you were, that you were a, uh, a for-profit entity. You see, here, I, here, I thought you were non-profit. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, yeah, I'm
1: a for-profit. I've had many offers to go non-profit, but, um, like I said, I just believe that one, maybe one day I'll consider it, but for right now, I, I like where we're at.
0: Okay. So, um, the, um, the next thing that I would that I just, what I just, what I would ask naturally is, you've been doing it for a while now. Uh, you've you've managed to overcome some of your challenges. So, like, what would you say? This is actually a two part question. As of right now, what would you say are some of your biggest successes? And then the second part of that is, let's say five years from now, you've been deep into the work. Um, you know, what would you say if you stopped in five years? What would you say? What does success look like to you? That would that, at the end of your work.
1: All right, that sounds awesome. So let me say, let me back up and answer your first question. Um, some of the successes that I'm very proud of is that um, in Camden City, New Jersey, that at one point was the third most dangerous city in America, and it's about 20 minutes from my house. Um, that's where I wanted to go. Send me where. Everyone has wrote you off. That's the students that I want. And so I went into Camden and I said, I wanted to impact here. I wanted to start here. And many yeah. people were like questioning that decision making. And one of the things that, you know, you know, my, my name starts circling around the community. I was invited on the board of directors for a school district in Camden and I came in. I was the only person of color on the board. And um, I knew I would have some challenges. But as of recent, I am now the academic chair for that whole district. And not only that, one of my huge success as six months ago, we changed the curriculum and diversified it. So no longer is it a curriculum that just targets one group of students. The new curriculum that I presented to the board that got approved is now a diverse, uh, curriculum that now looks at all groups and everyone will be reflected, pictures on the walls will change, textbooks will have students of color in there, Re- teacher representation will change and this is just the beginning of the work of diversifying the message and I feel that once all schools, once all students, feel like the school sees them, the curriculum sees them, they'll be better engaged in school and perform higher. And so this is a huge success in the city of Camden with an all white board just about three years ago. Um, second success I would say is uh, that I think of a lot is I do a lot of work with formerly incarcerated individuals. I had an individual who I met 20 years in prison, never had a job in his life. Uh, he met with me for eight weeks. Uh, I kind of give you like a GPS map when you come out of prison. So you have a roadmap of how to be successful. Found a job at Domino's, sent me an email. He's like, I'm crying as I'm writing you this email, man. Finally got a job at Domino's, and today I was just promoted to general manager. And this is a guy that never had a job before, and now he has employees, and he's running the show. And so, just and he said one of the things that I'll never forget you told me you were the first man in my life who told me you believed in me, and wow, so, you know sometimes you say things to people, and you just think you know it's just yeah, a throwaway and, and right years it's it's a seed years yeah. later you see the the harvest and you're just like, man, and so how many people did not reach back to me that's doing well? I don't know, but my thing is this is the kind of work I believe in man and, and i'm I'm proud of these two stories. There are more, but those two are the more more impactful ones to me. Man,
0: that's incredible. And, and I definitely agree with you. There was a, a time when I was in, still in Washington County, and um, I was invited a few times to come and talk to some of the boys who were at the juvenile incarceration. Yes. And the one thing that I learned, one of the probably the biggest lessons that I learned from that experience mm-hmm. was, you know, we were... Uh, We were we were introduced and uh, everybody was kind of like clammed up and, you know, they were very, very internal, Mm -hmm. you know, not saying a lot, not really engaging. But um, I took them through some workouts and had some uh, some collaborative style fitness games. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that. When I told them, hey, that's a good job, I'm proud of you, that was great, you're doing good, keep it up they kept coming back like they wanted more mm-hmm. and that's when i realized i'm like this is probably the most positive experience that they're ever going to have in that day yeah it means a lot to them you mm-hmm. like you know like how many how many pats on the back have they gotten in their life from, from a male
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah like how many times have they heard i'm proud of you like they probably they hear so much about about uh who they are negatively yeah. Uh, yeah. about, you know how what they're not going to be, what they can't mm-hmm. be, and I'm firmly convinced that if we can get more people to just sow positive seeds into them, that they can be so much more than that. But they've never been given that 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 encouragement that that they can
1: believe that they can be more. Absolutely, and it's it's literally what you said. Uh, how many words of positive affirmation have these young men received? um and that's all i'm about you know i know they get enough negativity in the world so i'm trying to balance that with 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 some positive words of affirmation um telling them what they can be but also showing them what they can be listen i i'm right now teaching inside of prison maximum facility (laughs) all right so this ain't these ain't guys doing 10 years we're talking about 30 years lifers and i'm coming in there and all my peers that come in there first of all it's it's a space that's really white. Um, the inmates aren't, but the people that are coming in there are, and so they 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 don't see young brothers like myself coming in there to teach, not necessarily. <laughs> so, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, when I come in there, my peers are my peers, colleagues are wearing t shirts, jeans, and I'm coming in there with a suit, with a bow tie, and they're like, well, "You don't have to do this." Like what? But that's how I would have walked in if I was walking into Rutgers University. So I I want them to sh- I want them to see positive affirmation, not only hear it, but I want them to see Black excellence and to see how I walk in there and how to, and and all of that sends a message that you can be more than what you see. And 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 so my thing is the way I dress is intentional, the way I talk is intentional, the way I show up is intentional, and the way I speak to them is intentional. It's to just show them that I believe in you. You can do this and show them the other way to this. It's not always the streets or uh, sports that you could actually use your mind to make things happen as well. Yeah,
0: that's beautiful. And I I would love to see a return um, to us respecting academic success, you know, because I don't feel like a lot. I mean, I don't want to speak because you know we're not monolithic, yes. but it just doesn't seem like there there's a respect for 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 African Americans who excel in academics. Listen,
1: who gets the bigger party? The kid that graduated college, or the kid that comes home from prison?
0: That's a hundred percent facts.
1: We got to fact. change that culture. We got to change that mindset, and we need to start celebrating kids that excel academically, and that'll help. Uh, with that narrative that we're trying to change.
0: That's yeah, that that's so important because a lot of times, you know, we we give people like um, oh, what's her name now? I can't remember her name's, um, Candace yeah. Owens and uh, and 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 people like mm-hmm. her, um, a hard time. But in reality, we can't complain about them. We can't right because we created them because. Mm-hmm. Uh, the smart, different kids were always treated picked differently, them. you know, yeah. than they yeah, picked on. Then, like, you know, the quote unquote cool kids with swag, yeah. you know. So um, and and the more they get rejected, you know, the the more they're going to reject us later on, you know, when they get when they get brought into positions of acceptance, you know, by by other. Correct. Us.
1: Listen, uh, I'm not saying McCann is always supporter, but mm-hmm. what I will say is I don't care your opinion about her refute her arguments if you can't right. do that i don't really want to hear what you think about her so my thing is some right. things she say may be hard to listen to but can you refute it <laughs> and i think a lot of people struggle <laughs> with that and so i'm all about facts so my thing is yeah there's some things i probably can dispute but there's some things she say you just got to swallow it because it is what it is at this point so yeah i i definitely get what you're going with that but those kids will go where they're celebrated. Right. And sometimes if they celebrate their own community, they go to other communities that will celebrate them. And so if we if we get upset about that, we have to start diversifying who we celebrate. So here's the thing. You and I both Mm -hmm. know
0: that there seems to be well, not seem to be, but there Mm -hmm. is a strong pushback against diversity and inclusion um, and specialized education uh, for for minority Mm -hmm. children. So how do we begin? I mean, e- even though that the, the data does not support this pushback, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so it's like, it, it's, it's clear, talking about rejecting academia, it, it, it's like the data does not support that pushback. So how do we begin, to, how do we begin to, 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 to make the swing back
1: to what we know is true? Yeah, so I'm heavy in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, uh, certified through Cornell University um program looking at ways that we can create more inclusive learning environments, not only learning environments, but more inclusive organizations. So organizations bring me in all the time to do their trainings on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the first thing I always have to do with the senior leadership staff is to first make the case of why you need it. Because a lot of these guys <laughs> right. don't feel like they need it. <laughs> and then, you know, so it's right. to basically make a case. And so one of the things I always tell them is um, look at the the phone when it was first created to now. Look at um, the car when it was first created to now. Look at anything when it was first created to now, you're gonna see a significant change and evolution in how it is today. The first computer till now, we could just go listen. To. But when you look at education, And if I pull up a classroom from the 1800s and I pull up a classroom today, it structurally looks exactly the same. So nothing has changed really. And you know what else didn't change? The curriculum didn't change. So Mm. you had, if you go back to the 1800s, the curriculum was made literally for white men, not for white women, not for minorities. It was made for white men. Um, and now if I'm telling you it has not changed, that's why white men tend to do better in school. It was designed for them. And so we would have to dismantle the curriculum, create a new one that looks at everyone. And that's how you build more inclusive environments. So. I'm talking about the education space. Let's look at some of your corporate policies. Let's look at some of your senior leadership staff. Does it look like your organization or does it look like a specific group of your organization? So that's how you begin the conversation, that I need to do something to change how I'm representing different groups in my organization. Does everyone feel safe? And the last thing I tell them as a joke, um, have you ever made a mistake you went to a church church? And as a white man, and you walk in, you're the only white man in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, and no, like, no. Usually, <laughs> yeah, no. one person raising their hand. I was like, I had that experience. I drove in, I felt, and I walked in. I was like the only white guy there. How did you feel? It was weird, man. That's how we feel every day in white spaces. And so, once you say that, it usually breaks the room down. And now we can start a conversation because when we are in these predominantly white spaces, that's how we have to show up every day. And we try to not make noise and not be seen and not cause interruption because we don't feel safe or invited in these conversations. And so the push for diversity is really to include everyone. And once everyone feels included in a space, they're better engaged, output goes up, and that's for schools as well as organizations. So the data is there; it's backed up by research. The more diverse a team is, the more perspectives are going to come around into your decision making. And I'll yield here. McDonald's learned a powerful lesson about this. They 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 were building a McDonald's in India, and they didn't do their research. They just thought everyone would like a Big Mac. So they built a McDonald's in India, and guess what happened? Flatlined. No one goes in there. And then, like, I don't understand. McDonald's is successful all over the world. I don't understand why the Indians don't like McDonald's. You didn't do the research. You were not doing DEI. And to learn the culture of India, to understand that the cow is sacred. Mm. And therefore, because you didn't have a diverse team of leaders making strategic decisions for you, you made a disastrous mistake. Didn't read yeah. the room. And so guess what? If you were diverse there would have been a perspective offered at the table that would say, hey, in that country, this is what happens there. This is what happens in this culture. So if you want to win in this culture, this is what you're going to have to do. And then you're going to have to change your strategy. If that's not evidence of why you need DEI. I don't know what is. And so that's how I would say is how you start those conversations. I mean, it
0: it only works for any company's betterment. Correct. Like I've always felt, I've always felt like when people say, quote-unquote American culture. I don't believe that there is a such thing as an quote-unquote American mm-hmm. culture. Like we've always been a mm-hmm. culture of different cultures. Yeah, a blend. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what makes if you, if you want to make America great, that's how you make America great. You make everyone feel like they're a part of Correct. this. Correct. Uh, you're right. and you res- Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. And you respect
1: everyone, respect the differences that everyone brings to the table. Correct. And so one of my DEI teachings is exactly what you just mentioned. It's called the melting pot um, ideology. So when I was growing up, they told me America is a melting pot. And a melting pot, what happens is that you all lose your individual um, characteristics and become one American soup. But as you mentioned, that's not really what America is. It's not this one thing. It's a multiple thing. So what I challenge all of my participants when they do these trainings is that, Listen, you have to look at America not as a melting pot, but as a garden salad. And a garden yes. salad, you see the tomato, you see the lettuce, you see the cucumber, you see all the individual characteristics, but we eat it together. And that's what makes the seasoning. That's what makes it good. That make, But we don't eat it separately. We don't take all the tomatoes out and just eat that. And then we move to let. No, we eat it together. And so <laughs> if we eat it together, that's how we're really going to have a blended culture, a mixing of cultures that make up one America.
0: Now that's 100% facts. I definitely appreciate it because I can say, um, I always tell people that I talk mm-hmm. to that the, it was said to me a long time ago and, and I can't even remember his name. It was such a long time ago, but he said the most powerful word in the English language is the word and mm. the word and is the most powerful word in the in the in the English vocabulary. Now one day I'm gonna write a book on that called and dot dot dot. Don't take my idea, Doc. Right. It
1: sounds very tempting. But I, I won't
0: not <laughs> don't, don't, don't take my That's idea, hot. man. That's hot for sure. But <laughs> because if you think about it, and is the most inclusive word that we can mm. think of. And yes. right? So I can be I can be a man who is focused on um, the success and growth of the African American population in the United States, and
1: a proud, patriotic American. Correct. Correct. I can be both. I don't have to Correct. choose. Correct. And, and, and we make we make dangerous decisions when we don't do and. One of the arguments that I will make about our culture is that we want everyone to think the same and act the same. Right. And, and we're not a monolithic group. And what once we realize that. We should see that as actually a strength. Um, you're going to make me go to politics. I'm trying not to go there. So I, I'll try to stay home. But <laughs> what I'll say to that is um, Martin Luther King was a powerful man. But you know who else was powerful? Malcolm X. But they came from two different school of thoughts, two different religions. And while they were both living together, they did not see eye to eye. They had two separate movements. If we used the word and, if Martin Luther King and Malcolm X joined together, that would have been probably the most powerfulest movement during the civil rights movement. Can you imagine? But because we left it as or, Black Mm -hmm. people at that time had to decide, do I follow the King approach or do I follow the X approach? And they used to talk bad about whichever choice you chose. But if we use that inclusive word of and and brought both of those populations together under one umbrella, man, that's where significant change could have probably happened. So, yeah, I, I'm with you, man. And is probably the most powerful, inclusive word that we have in the English language right now.
0: And if you think about how divided, there, there's there's so much division and social media does, no, doesn't help. Absolutely. You know, the, the news, the news, the mainstream news doesn't help. They don't help. Um, they they, they they don't help the division yeah. at all, and I it, it it's almost like right now people have this full time NFL football mentality where it's my team against your team, <laughs> you, you know, right? You know, it's 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 bloods and crips, it's yeah. red and blue, you know. It's um, my girlfriend and I were just talking about this this morning mm-hmm. how um, even within even within Blackfield, like you know, like we said, we're not monolithic, yeah. but it's almost like either you choose to be. Um, Pan African, or you choose to be uh, more more Western yeah. culture, but I'm like the goal is still the same, 100%. Mm-hmm. you know. Or, or they say that you you're you're a protester or you're in politics. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, you can do both. Yeah. Like you, you know, everything works if you recognize the assignment. There's different
1: roles for everybody in every in, in every effort. Yeah, and, and it's just unfortunately it's part of our culture that we like to compartmentalize and put people in boxes. And th- what's happening now, this younger generation, you can't put them in a box. <laughs> so they are becoming no <laughs> and all, and so yeah. they're challenging many of the boxes that we've created um, over time. And so yeah, I, I'm all for it. You know, sometimes people, even with me, like. What lane are you in? All of them. <laughs> like I'm, I, I'm in <laughs> politics. I'm in education. I'm in organizations. I'm, I'm in prisons. Uh, wherever the help is needed, I'm there, and I'm not going to allow you to just make me restrict myself to one lane because I see problems in a lot of lanes that I want to be engaged in. So, so yeah, man, I don't believe in, or I'm a, a huge proponent of it.
0: So now, so coming off that for a little bit, now you're a top notch educator. So they always say that sometimes the students become the teachers. So what are some of the things that, that, that you've learned from some of your, some, from some of your, who, who you would say are your best students? What, what, what have they taught you over your career?
1: To, to challenge systems, man. Um, the, this younger generation has zero respect for, tradition, <laughs> rituals, and <laughs> systems. And I grew up in tradition, rituals, and systems, and they always asked why. And, you know, I'm like, man, you know what? When I was raised, you didn't ask why. Why I was considered disrespectful. Facts. But but they have taught me that why is a critical thinking question. Why are we doing this? Does this still... Is this still relevant? So this idea, just some of the examples of things that they challenged me on. Why do you buy a house for 30 years? I'm like, uh, that's what we always done. But you're in a climate now that every five years you change jobs. You think, so why don't you have more of like a short term? And I'm just like, you know, I never thought about that. <laughs> and, and why do you stay at a job for 30 years? And why do you, you know, so there's so many things that we've done out of loyalty to companies who are not loyal to you. They're, they'll they'll fire you tomorrow and put your job on Indeed on Monday. And so yes. it's just they're just not <laughs> committed to the way we've been. And I used to see that as their downfall. But now I'm starting to understand if it's balanced, it can also be a strength um, that you um are not so hinged on the long term that you also do short term successes as well. The other thing that I think they did, as I said earlier, they challenge everything. Um, they they, they challenge religion, politics. Why why do 90% of African Americans vote Democrat? Um, I'm not sure, that's what we always done. Well, that's the reason why Republicans aren't coming to our communities to campaign. Because they have your, they know 90% of you will vote no matter who's the candidate. So things like that, you know, you just, I just never heard my parents talk like that, you know? And so my thing is they, they challenge things that you just call normal and try to really get the rationale behind it. And I've really used that to kind of help uh, make my company more strategic and challenging systemic oppression. Hmm. How old are you again? 44. OK, so
0: we're so we're in the same age range. So we're so we're we're both yes. Gen X. Now, that's always been what I felt like has been the downfall of our generation is that we didn't ask why mm. enough.
1: But we were trained not to do that, though.
0: Exactly. exactly. Yeah. 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 We were, we were the last mm-hmm. generation to be to to still be under the. Uh, the mental conditioning mm. of, of, of the oldest population. Correct. So that's why they call us, uh, what, what, what they call us, uh, the forgotten generation, because I feel like, feeling like, you know, like, like too many of us, we, we, we just spent like too much time trying to please the older Correct. generation and not, and not Correct. challenging, um, the antiquated way of thinking that, that didn't really prepare us, um, for the future. And I'm, I'm, I'm so happy. To see uh, that uh, that our siblings and our kids um, are being allowed to ask those those questions and to be allowed to uh, to, you know, hold us accountable for the way we've always done. Listen, it. When I
1: grew up, my teacher could never be wrong. Never. So if my Fact. teacher said I did this, no matter if I said I didn't, the teacher said it and that's it. M- my kids aren't like that. Um, she had a disagreement with a teacher. The teacher said something I can't. and She told me I came to the school, and I'm the parent that wanted to listen to both sides. You know that because I'm not going to be the parent that says my kids right all the time either. So my thing is listen to both sides. And my child happened to be right. The school took care of the teacher. That didn't happen when I grew up. <laughs> it was the other way around. Right? No, I'm not I was at all. Parent would come to school, they would say, what happened? They'll make up a narrative, and then you, you came home and got spanked. No questions asked. And so I think what's also happening is it's also changing our generation parenting style, because these kids you can't parent them the same way that we were parented. Like, that strategy doesn't work. You do as a say, and that's it. So the why and how, you got to kind of also give rationale behind many of your decision making. And you know, I've come to realize that's not disrespectful if it's said in a in a respectful way. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure, man. So for everyone, for so for all these kids that are getting ready to go to college and they, they want to get into education, like, what advice would you give young people today who were interested in pursuing a career in education?
1: All right, so um, let me make sure we're talking about in the new world of AI because we have to we have to not. Mr. the elephant in the room here. So I'm going to tell young people today that's going into education something that most people be like, what? And yeah, that's what Dr. Tank is going to tell you to do. Go into trades. AI can't replace trades. AI can replace right. a lot of these college degrees that we're getting. Um, so my thinking is that you're still going to need a plumber. You're still gonna need HVAC guy, you're gonna need carpenter, you're gonna need those kind of skills. You got a bunch of people with degrees who can't even change a tire at this point. So, yeah, That's the emphasis facts. for me now is that we need to have more entrepreneurs and more people into trades, is what I would tell a kid. I'm not against college, but college doesn't give you skills, it just gives you information. Mm. We need skills. So, when we start uh, becoming obsolete with, because information can be replicated with AI, but they're going to have a hard time having a robot come in and fix the toilet. (laughs) So I'm just, so my point (laughs) is to say that um, I diversify (laughs) the message, so I obviously have the opportunity to sit on a board. I I have a big influence on education right now, so one of the things that I'm rolling out right now in Camden Schools is this idea of the four pathways. Um, I think Uh, saying everyone needs to go to college is a dangerous message, but saying not to go to college can be dangerous as well. So I, I believe there's four things that we should be telling young people to consider. I'll start off with college, which is still a very good decision, but as AI comes in, that's gonna be something interesting to watch. Trades, as we just mentioned, is the number two. We need skills, especially us. Um, we don't have, when you look at skill-based professions, they are actually white dominated. So we need, but you know what? Our ancestors used to be skilled. Like if you go to early 1920s, 1930s, we had skills. We knew how to, we were carpenters. We we knew how to build things. Um, all many, all these institutions that we hold a high regard was built when we didn't have a college education. And so the trade is huge. Third is military. Um, there's a lot of people that are very successful today, use the military to pay for their college. Therefore, they're not graduating with debt and are very successful. And we don't push that message enough. And the last one is the one that I'm doing now, which is entrepreneurship. I think you should be learning that at eight, nine, 10 years old. Stop building someone else's dream and build your own. Uh, And so my thing Mm. is, when you have a job, if you really think about it, you're really building someone's dream. <laughs> so right. the time you're investing yeah. to build theirs, invest in yourself and build your own. And so that's a message I've, I think that should be starting at sixth grade. And it's, it got approved in Camden schools that we're going to start talking about entrepreneurship, trade, college, and military starting at sixth grade. So by the time they're in 12th grade, not saying it will happen with all of them, but at least they know there's at least four viable ways to be successful in this world. And so you're not just putting all your eggs into a jump shot or s- football. Definitely.
0: I, I, I 100% agree with that. And I would always, when um, someone asks, should should people go to college or not? I might, that's not a, a yes or no right. question. You know what I mean? Every kid is different. Every kid has different yep. attitudes. Every kid has different um Goals. So I always say um, that if you want to decide, like you have to give them the tools uh, to make educated decisions on what's next for them. Correct. Um, I think I don't know if they still have it, but um, I think there should be like standardized testing to help kids make those decisions. Like, like what do you have the aptitude for? Because. Uh, the military might not be for everyone. You don't want to send mm-hmm. people into into that kind of environment right. where they're not ready for. It. College might not be for everyone. You don't want to send people into an environment to where, to where mm-hmm. you know, they have a low likelihood of, of succeeding. The trades aren't for everyone. So you have mm-hmm. to determine what aptitude mm-hmm. the kids have, uh, what's going to
1: keep their interest, and also what the market right. needs. And so, so, you so what you proposal yeah. is actually in China. And so in China, everyone doesn't go to college. It's people that read a certain benchmark on that exam, and everyone doesn't go into trade. It's people that hit a certain benchmark. So depending on your grade on that test, it determines what career you're going to. Now, that sounds all good and well, but there's a flip side to that. There are kids, I think the highest suicide rate is the day after that test. So these kids, their parents groom them for them to be medical doctors. And then they bomb on that test and now they could only become mm. a carpenter. So now the kid feels like he let their parents down. And, and you know, so that test becomes not very stress filled test because your whole career is determined by this. And so there's pros and cons to that approach, but you know, it is something that's being used in China as we speak. I
0: I think like everything, it's all about balance. Yeah. It, it, like, a, I don't feel like parents should be grooming their kids to be anything other Come than on. what they want to be, on. you know? <laughs> uh, that A, and B, you know, and B, again, there's always and. Let's say, you know, this didn't work out for you. Well, yeah. what's next? You know, you, 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 let's, let's help you figure out what's next because there's always opportunities to do something else. Um, when I first got started, um, in high school, my goal was to be a chef. Mm-hmm. That was my goal. I went to, culinary I went to a culinary, uh, Votech mm-hmm. in high school and I worked in a restaurant for the summer after I graduated and I hated <laughs> life. <laughs> I said, this is not for me. So I spent mm-hmm. two years of my life getting set up to be a chef and now I get into the field and I absolutely hated it. And then I decided I was going to be, I was going to go into the Air Force. Well, I got a very, I got a really high score on my ASVAB test. I mm-hmm. was at Meps, and I got disqualified because I had childhood epilepsy. Oh, well, there man. went that dream. And then I was, then I was just kind of lost. I didn't know what I was going to do. So then I started working uh, mm-hmm. part time. I started working part time at a parking mm-hmm. garage, and I ran into someone who was the, um, the news anchor for oh, the wow. local news station, and he and he, we got to talking over a couple of weeks, and he sent me in to go talk to the production manager and I started working in the TV studio oh, part time. Wow. Um, and then because of that, um, I got, I was on the camera and then, um, uh, I got featured in the newspaper for being, um, a bodybuilder. So I won a contest at mm-hmm. age 19 and then I, uh, started getting requests for people that wanted to work out with me. And then, um, I just kind of fell into the wow. fitness business. Um, you know, and, uh, and, but see, but then I didn't really know I was doing. So, but I got a taste of the Correct. fitness business and um, I dive- I diverged into sales. I got into furniture sales and I learned right. how to sell. And yeah. if you learn how to sell, you will always be, you always know how to make money. So I learned sales and then I applied that knowledge to when I got um, but I started a record for Bally Total Fitness and I, I would work, ended up being mm-hmm. a sales manager in the fitness business. Then I got back into training and then so on and so forth. Fast forward, I had my own gym for a number of years wow. in Hagerstown. And, uh, but you know, it, and so it's always funny just just because one path ends doesn't mean your your journey
1: is over. 100%. Yeah. And, and it, I love to hear how it all evolved. It, you, you realize all of those was critical steps to to that end destination. So it's beautiful.
0: It, I learned skills 100%. along the way. I learned skills that I applied that if I hadn't learned those skills and gone through what I went through, I wouldn't have Correct. been able to be a gym a gym owner that thrived
1: in one of the most economically depressed wow. areas in Maryland. Yeah, that, that, that's an amazing story, man. So proud of all the work that you've done also, man but enough about me <laughs> enough about me so
0: let's close this out i, I cuz yeah. i know you're a busy man and and i, yeah. and I don't want to hold you up all, mm-hmm. all all day but if we if if, mm-hmm. if you think about it you know if we look down 100 200 you know years from now like like what are your hopes for the future of education in the african american community
1: so are you talking the community or the hope from our organization
0: now, let's say okay. for the African-American community. Yeah. Like, like like what are your hopes for education down the line? Let's say when you sit down yeah. and you rest, when all your work is done, you know, like uh, what is your hope for the African-American community and education? That
1: we know who we are. Um, I believe once we know who we are, that's going to change everything about how you you um, conduct yourself after that. Um, and let me give you a quick example. If. If I did your uh, lineage and I come back and tell you, hey, I did your lineage and found out that you're actually a son of an emperor, like the great grandson of an emperor, and you actually have an inheritance um, of this amount of dollars waiting for you in Africa, you would look at yourself totally different from that day on. The stuff that you engage with would probably be beneath you now you would feel like I'm an heir. <laughs> and so how, how you yeah. approach yourself would be different. I think many of the things that we struggle with in our community because we don't have any pride in who we are. Um, so because of that, yeah. if I think I don't come from nothing and I, I, I don't have nothing to aspire to, then I don't be nothing. And so I think that's really the genesis of what can change our community. Um, who were we before slavery? Many people don't have a clue. And so because of that, you think all you are is that you came from slavery and you got nothing. And so therefore, that changes your mindset. So what I'm hoping is that the the curriculum becomes diversified so that way we can start telling these kids who they are, who they used to be, which can inspire them to start building things. I was talking to my wife the other day. I said, I realized many of the things that we're proud of today came from two to three generations ago. And she's like, what do you mean? Just think about it. There's nothing that we've done recently that we're really proud of. We talk about the civil rights movement. That wasn't our generation. We talk about HBCUs. That wasn't our generation. We talk about Black History Month. That wasn't our generation. There's not much that we've done that our grandkids, our great-grandkids are going to be like, man, that generation of Black folks from 1960 to 2022, They were no joke. And so that's what I'm hoping, that we start becoming, again, entrepreneurs, skill-based, education, dressed the way we used to dress. Like, just start representing our what we love to tag as Black excellence. Become that again. And so our generation Mm. that come after us can look at our generation as um, a blueprint of how you do this. You know, why do we have to keep going to 1926 to talk about Black Wall Street? Let's create Black Wall Street right now in 2023. Let's stop talking about HBCUs. Let's build a new university right now. Let's build schools right now. And then that's where we can start teaching this history that we're talking about and become more of a community that's empowered through ourselves. And I'll I'll end with this point. If anyone says, hey, Dr. Tang, I don't know if that's going to work, I can point you to a community that's doing that very well, the Jewish community dollars are circulating. I, I, I live amongst them. <laughs> so I see how they, they work. <laughs> and they circulate their dollars in their community. They build their own schools. They they build their own industries. They, they dominate the marketplace. And, and they're a thriving community. And so what I'm saying is not a far-fetched idea. I see it every day. And I know if we tap into that, we, we cannot no longer talk about what we used to be, but we could become that today.
0: That's facts, man. You you, well, you know, one other thing that I've heard that was impactful was what has been Correct. done can be done. Correct. If it has been done, it can be done. Uh, there, there, nobody in the past is any better than you, any more special than you. And they were likely way less equipped
1: and resourced Touchdown. than you. Less education, less resources, more productivity. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, facts, man! Listen, we gotta get off here, bro. We
0: gonna be yeah, here for, for yeah. another two hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. If people want to get more information about you, uh, booking you, uh, looking at
1: uh, uh, at your courses or whatnot, uh, where to find you, where where listen, can they find you, can you? Find me on all major platforms. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. It's Tank Educates T A N K. EDDUCATES. You can also reach me at my website www.tankeducates.com. that's with 2 Ds.com. Um, I do a number of programs. I mentor literally 3000 doctoral students all over the country. I run doctoral classes. Mm. I'm at prisons as you all know. I'm at universities. I do professional development. I do trainings, I do DEI work, I do leadership trainings. Whatever you need, hit the website and and contact me, and we'll, we'll be there uh, to do the work. Hey,
0: and we got to connect for a workout <laughs> soon, bro. You know, you've been you've been dodging listen, me for two years I'm now.
1: Maryland. am I coming to Maryland anytime soon? Uh, next time, man, we connect, <laughs> man. <laughs>
0: I'm in. Well, listen, fam, um, Doc. I appreciate you, and I appreciate everyone for listening in today. Definitely check out. Uh, Dr. Tank's uh, website and see if you can't get him booked with your organization or with your school system. Um, and also don't forget to, uh, to like this show. Don't forget to follow the show, download the show and act like you've got some manners, mm-hmm. act like you were raised right and share and share the show as well. And help make us, help make us a top tier location for uh this for featuring um the best people in the world that are trying to make impacts in their businesses, their communities, um, and the world. And and as always, get out there, go live your best life, uh, and go get your hustle on. Peace. Peace. Thank you for joining us today on Life, Love, and Hustle. We appreciate you and your support more than you know. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone who could benefit from it. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook to continue the conversation and get exclusive access to even more content. We're grateful for your loyalty and we can't wait to see you hustle your way to success. We'll be here for you every step of the way.